welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Welcome back to A Congruent Life, where we're sharing inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness and exploring this concept of congruence from many different perspectives. My name is Andy Gray. Thanks for joining in with us wherever you might be. This is episode number 15 of A Congruent Life. For this episode, I was delighted to connect with Karen Kenny. Thanks so much to listener Sherry Lester for suggesting Karen as a guest on the show and for introducing us. I'm talking today to Karen Kenny, who is a writer, mentor, and entrepreneur involved in a lot of different things with a focus of bringing the sacred into everyday living. Karen, welcome to A Congruent Life. Hey, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. It's pretty cool to be to be chatting with you. I checked out a few of the other shows, and I just totally dig what you're doing and what you are creating in the world. So thank you so much for um, having me as a guest. It's a total honor. Well, thanks very much. It does feel like important work. And as we were chatting a bit a moment ago, it does feel like it's important to share some of these stories because we are surrounded by people that are doing some pretty amazing stuff. And it sounds like you're one of them. Oh, that's sweet of you to say. Um, Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Even just in my own life, um, you know, through my interaction with my students and through interaction with my mentors and teachers. And these aren't people who, you know, are necessarily like in Yoga Journal or have best selling books or are world famous, but the work that they do in their everyday life is um, so beautiful and so important. And I think that, you know, as, as we were chatting a few moments ago too about how um, we kind of have a fascination with celebrity and fame. Um, and, you know, there's some people who are doing really powerful, important work who kind of get overlooked. Um, and so I, I just think it's so cool that you are um, reaching out and seeking out people, as you say, who are maybe ordinary, but doing extraordinary things, because we all have pretty amazing stories to tell. That we do. Absolutely. So thank you for that very much. Well, let's maybe dive into a little bit of your story. Can you tell a little bit about some of your upbringing and and maybe some of what were particularly formative experiences for you as you were growing up? Yeah. um, So I grew up in Lawrence, Mass. Lawrence um, is about 30 minutes north of Boston. It was an immigrant city. It was a really interesting place to grow up. Um, There was so many different cultures. There was you know, um, it was a big mill town along the Merrimack River. So um, originally it had Irish working class, the French, uh, Vietnamese, Hispanic, Puerto Rican. I mean, it was like a cultural mixing pot growing up there. So it was it was really cool. And um, but it was also kind of a, a, a tough place to grow up. It's been called um, one of the most violent cities. It's uh, recently, they wrote an article about it, um, calling it the city of the damned. It's really interesting. I mean, my experience growing up was kind of different. I guess it's interesting when you read about how people write about the city uh, and what you actually experienced there as a kid. I mean, I have friendships and and from the time that I was a little kid that still remain strong and true. The one thing about Lawrence kids is we kind of raised each other. So it was kind of a tough city. My parents, my mom and my biological dad got divorced when I was two. And then my stepfather kind of came onto the scene when I was three. 
And he was around off and on from the time that I was 12. And, you know, I kind of grew up, I, I say, I say I kind of grew up in a war zone because my parents were very young. My mother had my sister and I when um, she was like 19 and 20. So they were young parents. And, you know, I always just say with the preface is that everybody was doing the best that they could. Um, but my parents fought like all the time. And my father was, um, my stepfather was a little bit of a, um, I don't know what the, the kind word is, maybe a little bit of a tyrant, but he just didn't allow for any weakness. He was a really tough guy. Um, and so the environment felt um, kind of fused with with violence. We weren't abused or anything like that, but he would definitely poke us and shove us and stuff like that. And he and my mom had a very volatile relationship. So I kind of grew up in a place of um, a lot of instability and fear and unknowing. Balanced, though, with this deep, deep, deep devotion and love from my mother. My mother just adored us. And, um, and I had no doubt in my mind. So my parents had gotten separated um, off and on so many times. But this last time that they had gotten separated in 1981, um, my father, my stepfather was no longer living with us. Um, and my sister and I woke up one morning, my mom had gone out the night before. Um, and we woke up one morning and she was not there. And so the long story short is, is that my mom um, was, we found out later, had been murdered. And um, so she was just literally like poof, gone overnight. And that I would say is obviously like one of the most defining moments of my life. And it literally changed the trajectory of my entire being and how I started to show up in the world and live in the world and what I believed about the world. So that's a really long answer. <laughs> what a challenging circumstance. So you were a fairly young girl at that point, right? Yeah, I was 12 years old and my sister was 13 going on 14. So yeah, we were young. How did you cope with having your world rocked in such a significant way? One of the things, well, there's there's so many things that kind of kind of came out of that. Um, I I try to explain it to people now. Keep in mind that this is all you know, 32 years later, hindsight work that I've done or whatever. At the time, I don't know if I really dealt with it all that well. Um, I think because. I mean, I was in a state of shock, I think, for a little while, and my stepfather didn't want to um, raise us, so he kind of just pawned us off, and another aunt and uncle who thought they were doing the best for us wanted to send us off to um, a boarding school, and then oddly enough, my biological father's brother stepped in and said, you know, you can't do that to these kids, um, and so he and his wife ended up taking us in. And so I lived with them for five years uh, from the time I was 12 to the time I was 17. And then when I was 17, I went off to BU and I was kind of on my own from that time on. So the coping in that time, I don't know, you know, I did, I guess I did what, what all kids did. Well, maybe not all kids, but my, my path was I kind of dropped inside, you know, I was, um, I kind of put on a mask for the rest of the world and, you know, I went on to be successful in terms of, you know, captain of the cheerleaders and most popular and I was on student council and I was doing all these things, but a lot of it um, on the inside, I was really, really suffering and I didn't really have any tools then, to be honest, Andy. So, you know, I started drinking when I was young. I never, it never turned into a full blown, it was never turned into a problem or anything, you know, but I started smoking pot, I started drinking. I probably uh, started having sex too young. I was doing all these things, I think, to feel better, to not suffer, um, but none of those things really worked. So it wasn't until much later um, 
that I actually started to meet some teachers and discover some books. Um, you know, books were like my saving grace. Books were a lifesaver for me right after my mother was killed. Um, it's where I sought solace. It's where I sought company. It was um, books. Books were a lifesaver for me. And then somewhere along the way, you discovered yoga. And it sounds like yoga has been a real chief experience throughout, kind of woven throughout your life. Can, can you talk a little bit about that process and, and what yoga has meant to you in your own journey? Um, yeah, for sure. So when I went to college, I went to Boston University and um, I had a work study program there. And one of the things that I did was run the weight room um, at the Case Center. And so one, you know, I, I was really into weightlifting and stuff then. So I was really about building big muscles and it was really about trying to, um, create a shape or a body that I loved from the outside in. And that's the thing that's really different about yoga in terms of just the physicality of the practice. Um, you know, a lot of times with aerobics or with weightlifting or with other things, it's about taking these things we don't like about ourselves, like, oh, my butt's too big. Oh, I have cellulite. Oh, this is flabby. Right. So it starts from a place of, of almost self-loathing and then you try to correct it. So it's definitely an outside in experience. And so one day when I was down in the weight room squatting and doing all my stuff, this woman came in and she was somebody that I had seen before and she always, always just would catch my eye and she struck me. And I don't know how to explain it any other way than to say that she was just lit up from within. She had a beautiful body and she had this light that just kind of radiated out from her. And I would always think to myself, like, who is this chick? Like, what is up with this woman? You know? So one day I just stopped her and I was like, who are you? Like, what's your deal? You know? And I said, you know, what do you do? I don't get it. Cause she just had something. I didn't know what it was, Andy. I was too young to understand it, but she had something that I wanted. And so she basically said, I do yoga. You know, I'm a yoga teacher, whatever. And she handed me the sheet of paper. She came back, you know, to another visit to the gym and she handed me the sheet of yoga paper. And um, on the sheet um, of paper was these little stick figures of different yoga asanas of the primary series of yoga. I still have that piece of paper to this day. So I took that piece of paper and it was like sacred to me and I would practice and do these little things on my own. And then, um, you know, after I graduated from college, I moved to um, L.A., I moved to Los Angeles. And I really was, you know, do a little reading here and there and be curious about yoga. But it wasn't until um, probably when I hooked up with Marianne Williamson that I really had an incredibly powerful yoga experience when I traveled to Egypt on a spiritual pilgrimage. And she had brought her yoga teacher on the trip with her. And her yoga teacher had invited me to practice with her. And we were right across from the pyramids. And it was like this incredibly intense healing uh, experience. And from then, I was just like totally hooked. And then from there, um, once I left L.A. and moved back to the East Coast, um, I continued to take classes and I started, um, you know, studying a little more seriously. And then I decided to be become a teacher. From that point on, uh, my life had just totally changed. I mean, yoga, yoga nowadays, the shame is, is that so much emphasis is placed on the physical asana. So your average person thinks, well, oh, well, yoga is doing all these fancy, twisty, you know, bendy poses. But there is a whole spiritual path. There is a whole philosophy and history about how to end your own suffering using these tools and steps. And it's a really powerful practice. And the postures, you know, we tend to a lot of us start there. That's what's attractive to us. 
and then we move on to the deeper practices. And um, so yoga has been a really uh, important and powerful tool for healing in my own life. And I totally dig sharing it with other people because I know it's power to transform. Sort of woven throughout the journey that you had with yoga, you mentioned encountering Marianne Williamson, who's a pretty well-known teacher with a, a lot of wisdom. Can you talk a bit about the impact that Marianne had on your life? Oh, my God. My life would not have been the same without her influence. Like most people, um, it started with her book. I was in a bookstore in L.A. Like I said, you know, from a young child, my mother always read to me. Um, so I got my love of books from my mom. And so any time that I was um, trying to navigate the world or avoid the world or whatever, books were always there for me. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, you know, I really only knew one other person. And so I spent a lot of time in bookstores. And so one day I was walking in a bookstore and um, all of a sudden, literally, the book just fell off the shelf in front of me. And I looked down and it was her, you know, one of her books that she's most famous for is A Return to Love. And so I looked down at the book and I saw this beautiful woman's face staring back at me and um, I liked her smile. I liked her face. She looked like a trusting face. So I picked up the book and I flipped it open and I started to read it. Um, and A Return to Love is all about kind of Marianne's reflections on A Course in Miracles. I don't know if you've heard A Course in Miracles. Um, oh, yes, definitely. Okay. And so... I started to read that book right there and then in the bookstore, and it blew my mind. Uh, Marianne was using terms. She was talking in a way that nobody in my life that I had ever encountered up to that point had ever spoken. And she talked about things like forgiveness, and she said things. And, and you know, like I said, again, it's her reflections on A Course in Miracles, but her reflections were in a language that totally made sense to me. So they were able, I gave my mind and my heart access to this deep wisdom. And she was just talking about that there's only love and fear, that people are either showing love or they're crying out for love. Um, that, and it was just like, just language that um, I had never experienced before. And so then I started, you know, I, gra I read that book and then I started to go to her uh, weekly lectures. She would lecture once a week in L.A., um, and I started going to her lectures and then she had put on a, um, a workshop one time and it was supposed to be a workshop on relationships, you know? And so I went and, um, we ended up having this, it's, it's too long of a story. I don't want to take all the time on your show, but, uh, we ended up having this experience in this exchange in that workshop. And what happened is I got up to ask her a question about forgiveness and, what had happened is my mom had come to me in a dream and she told me that she had forgiven the man that killed her and now it was my turn to do it. And I just didn't know how to do it. And I was really struggling because I wanted to not be suffering anymore. I wanted to forgive. I just didn't know how to do it. Um, so I asked Marianne this question and we had this really powerful moment. And basically uh, from that point on, she literally became my, um, my spiritual mom. And she kind of took me under her wing and we stayed in touch. And then I went on a few trips with her, one to Egypt and then one to England and Ireland. And it was in Ireland uh, on the Hill of Tara. I'll never forget it that she asked me to um, come and work with her. So I got to spend several months of intense, you know, being with her. I went with her on a book tour and I was, you know, doing a bunch of stuff. And in my day to day interactions with her as a human, um, just watching how she navigated the world, just watching how she handled conflict, just how she was in her day-to-day -day relationships, and then also watching her as a woman, as a mom, and how she navigated the world. I mean, I learned obviously so much from her um, through her books, 
through her speaking, um, but also just by being in her presence and kind of bearing witness to who she was in the world and how she showed up in the world. Um, she is a, um, a really, really powerful, powerful human being. If you've ever heard her speak, um, she's really something special. The mission of this A Congruent Life Project is really about sharing stories of authenticity, people that are living authentically. And I love hearing stories of people that have sort of a, a self-awareness and enough wisdom to take a look at their lives and what's working and what's not, and then make adjustments accordingly, you know, sort of put that into practice to live more congruently, as the, the title of the show says. What does living authentically or congruently mean to you? To me, it's it's about really staying true and following through on what God put in my heart to do. So to me, it is an act of recognizing and remembering who I really am. And what I mean by that is, is that it's so easy in our sensory world to, to start to believe, okay, so I'm five, six, and I have blonde hair, and I'm this body, and I weigh this much, and this is my job, and all these things that we like to define ourselves. And what I realized at some point is that I'm, obviously, as yoga teaches us, I'm not this body, I'm not these thoughts. And I'm like, well, if I'm not those things, what am I? And so I started to try and figure out, well, who am I really? And what does that mean? I mean, that's a big question for me to, to live authentically. And so to me, to live authentically means to live in line with the truth of who I am. And the truth of who I am is that I am a child of the beloved, that I am, uh, I come from love. My job is to give and receive love. And really, that's it. Um, it's an acknowledgement that I am here to, to serve. And I am here to love. And so any actions or any thoughts or any words or any behaviors that I have that are not in alignment with that truth, they need to fall away. And so for me, it's about a daily, um, a daily practice of trying to remember who I really am. Because when I remember who I really am, that I'm a child of God, that I come from love, then this false self, this imposter that my crazy ego would have me believe that I am, starts to fall away. Because the thing is, is when you're standing in the truth of who you are, when you're living authentically, when you are following on that call that God has put in your heart, um, then the imposter self can't exist at the same time. So the very act of following through uh, on serving and shining my light and writing and doing all the things that I came here to do, that, that crazy ego self can't be there at the same time, just kind of like how light and darkness can't exist at the same time. So for me, it's about keeping the focus on who I really am, remembering who I really am, who I already am, not who I have to become and I have to repent and I have to do all this work to be a good person. It's remembering that I'm already those things. You know, A Course in Miracles tells us that um, our task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within ourselves that we've created against love. And so that's kind of what I do is I try to find those places in me that are false, that are not true, that keep me stuck or playing small or um, sabotaging myself. And I gently try to remove them. And I do that through all kinds of spiritual practices, but mostly through forgiveness, forgiving myself, um, forgiving my humanity, as I call it, and standing in my divinity. That's such a central piece of our spiritual work to do is to get in touch with 
who we really are. And uh, as you say, sort of being in the moment, not what I need to become, but what I already am. Um, yeah, I mean, I find that, um, you know, I was talking to my some of my friends about this the other day, what I find really interesting, and I haven't traveled like a ton, but so I can only speak for what happens to me here in the United States is that almost immediately upon meeting you, somebody will ask you, well, what do you do? And I always kind of chuckle at that because I think, well, I, I do a lot of things like I do yoga and I play with my dogs and I, you know, I, I write. I don't know, like I do all kinds of things. But we're so defined sometimes like by our quote unquote careers or how we make our money because we're so obsessed with money. And so one of the things that I do is I really try to remember in this of, of who I am is that I try to practice a deep humility and I'll, I'll try to explain this. Um, to me, humility uh, is an act of faith. Um, it's an acknowledgement that there's something greater than me and it's also within me. It's an acknowledgement that even though that I understand that something magnificent might come through me, whether it's a great story or a great yoga class or whatever, that it did not come from me. Like I'm always co-creating with the divine. I try to remember that. It's not you, Karen. I, that's one of my things on my altar. I say, less me, more God, less me, more God. And it's just kind of knowing that my humanity is the vessel. It's kind of like the delivery system of my divinity. And so that even though I might like to label myself writer, mentor, yoga teacher, speaker, wife, you know, whatever it is, above all else, I'm a servant of God first. And that's how I kind of, you know, stay true and live authentically is just reminding myself above all else, I am a servant of God first. What would you consider to be some of your failures and what have they taught you? Oh my gosh. I think um, for sure in the beginning, because of all the, the loss um, that I experienced as a, as a little kid, I clung so tightly to feeling like I needed to control everything. And I think that it started to actually show up. I don't think I ever had like full-blown OCD, but I did start to find uh, that I had these compulsive behaviors um, because I needed to control everything in order to feel safe. And so if something um, didn't work out exactly right, or if something didn't look a certain way, and if it wasn't perfect, and if I wasn't perfect, I started to feel like out of control. But really what that really felt like was I felt like I was unlovable. And so I tried to really, um, I learned, you know, growing up with my stepfather, who was kind of nuts, um, that I was became like a, a people pleaser or what I kind of call a shapeshifter. And I would try to be whatever I thought the people I was around wanted me to be. And so I, I really believe that I lived my life for many, many years, not really knowing who I was, not trusting who I was. Um, I could always hear the call. I knew that there was something there, but I was so afraid to respond. I think to my own truth, because what if people didn't like it? And I think I just spent a lot of time trying to make sense of a senseless act. Um, you know, my mother was brutally murdered and that was um, really, really painful. Um, and so I think I spent a lot of time trying to make sense of something senseless that I was um I bought into the illusion that I was in control anyways. And I just wasted a lot of pressure precious creative energy trying to, um, to, to resist surrendering. That's a way to say it. So I think that was one of definitely my, my faults and my failures. And, um, 
And since then, I have, um, again, like I said, I have all these really great tools that I use to keep reminding myself to um, let go, let go, let go. Can you maybe tell us some about some of your current projects? It seems like you're involved in a number of things on TV and, and writing and teaching and mentoring. What current project in your world are you most excited about? Oh, well, the, the yoga show that I do on TV has, I've been doing that for um, 11, 12 years now, and it's a blast. It's like karma yoga for me. I film it, and we just put it out on our local access cable channel, and um, it's just a great way for people to to get access to yoga that may not otherwise, and I love that, and I've been doing that for a long time, and the spiritual mentoring and the teaching yoga um, are totally, um, you know, projects that my heart loves, and um, I just adore um, helping people connect and establish a personal relationship with the beloved, whatever that means to them. Um, but what I'm most, most, most excited about um, is my book. Uh, I'm working on a memoir I've been working on for uh, many years um, about um, my mom's murder and also kind of the path, the spiritual path that I've taken. So I guess it's kind of a combination of memoir, self-help. And um, I have been working on that um, for a few years now, and I'm really hoping to get the first draft done by the end of this year um, so I can um, get it out there. I mean, the thing about the kind of work that I do is sometimes you can be very limited in terms of there's only one body, there's only one you, and you can only be in so many places at one time. And the beauty of like webinars and conference calls or having a product and I, I don't I don't even want to call it a product, but that's what it is, I guess. Fundamentally, a project or a product like a book is that the book can kind of go out into the world without me and it can do its own thing without me. So it's kind of a way to uh, send my love out into the world without my physical body having to be there, too. So I'm, I'm so psyched about um, getting the first draft done and, um, you know, hopefully getting it out there into the world. Does your book have a title yet and or what is the impact that you want to make with your book? Um, the working title, and it might change, so don't hold me to this, but the working title right now is called A Small Price to Pay. I guess, you know, as a child going through the, the kinds of events that I went through, I often felt really, really alone. And one of the things that I've discovered is when I've gone out and spoken to groups, because I do some speaking as well, when I've gone out to spoke and have and have spoken to groups and have shared my story with them, at the end of every event or sharing, at least one, if not more people come up to me um, and and just share with me the most exquisite and beautiful stories that say, I too had somebody in my family murdered or this happened and I had so much shame around it. And what I discovered is by telling my own story, <clears throat> it gave people permission to also tell their stories so that the healing can begin. And what I talk about is moving from your story to your glory. And I think that people sometimes, just like my experience with Marianne, I didn't even know that that concept of forgiveness was out there. I didn't even know that that kind of thinking existed in the world. And so I know the power of books to change lives and to give people access to tools and to thoughts and to just not feel alone. And so my hope is that by, uh, you know, having my book somewhere out there in the world, 
um, that it will help people to feel less alone. It will help people to stand in their power. It will help people to know that they don't have to be a victim, that they don't have to suffer, that um, that that joy and love and all this um, magic, the, the sacred in the everyday living, it's all possible. Um, so I kind of just see my book as an extension of my own heart. And I hope that it touches some other hearts and in its own way can be a force for nonviolence and good and love in the world. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with um, specifically regarding authenticity? What I'd most like to say is that I really do believe that we are all called. I really do believe that each one of us has a spiritual mission or a spiritual ministry. And I think we kind of suffer a little bit from spiritual amnesia that, you know, we came into the world with all this power and all this joy and all this love. And then at some point, somebody told us we weren't smart enough or good enough or pretty enough. And then we started to believe these lies that were told about ourselves. And in some ways, we we started to lose that connection to the divine. And of course, a miracle has this great quote. It says, we had a tiny mad idea that we are separate from God and we forgot to laugh. And we started to believe, right, that we're just like these human beings stuck on this planet to trudge through everyday living. And I just really, what's, what's so exciting to me is that we all hold within us so many gifts and so many unique talents. And the world, like, needs help. And I always say, like, God and the angels and universe, spirit, whatever you call it, they sent you. And so our job is to answer the call. I think that God calls everybody or spirit calls everybody, but we're often so obsessed or lost in our own thoughts that we don't hear the call. So cultivating and developing tools, whether it's meditation or mantra or prayer, um, practicing yoga, these things that allow us to get quiet so that we can hear the divine call, so that we can respond to the true authentic gifts that we've been given, so that we can start showing up in our power to affect change and to be a servant of love. You know, I just, I just, I get so excited when I think that I know it's possible for everybody to feel that deep connection and that deep joy and to be a powerful force for good. Um, And so I just want to encourage people to, to take that time to find a way, whatever it is for them, because it's different for everybody to bring that authenticity into their life and then to be brave enough, be courageous enough to answer the call and to follow through on what God put in their heart to do. Karen, how can our listeners engage with you and find out more about what you're up to? Um, Well, they can certainly visit me at my website, and that is um, karenkenney.com. It's K-A-R-E-N-K-E-N-N-E-Y.com. And then I'm also um, on Twitter, and it's at Karen A. Kenny, same spelling. Um, And they can also check me out on Facebook. And um, same thing, Karen Kenny. And I also have a blog that's right on my website. So if they're interested in checking out anything that I've written or contacting me, um, that would be great. I love, just like you, I love meeting new people. I love having dialogue. I love uh, finding out, um, you know, how other people are, um, you know, birthing creative stuff in the world. And so I would love to hear from some of your listeners. That's excellent. We'll be sure to link to all of those things in the show notes for this episode. Karen, thanks so much for your time. It's really, really great to connect with you. And thanks very much for spending this time with us and sharing your stories with us. 
Well, Andy, thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm just really humbled and really feel blessed that you um, wanted to spend some time with me and give me a chance to share some of my story with your listeners. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep shining the light. You're doing some great stuff. And uh, it's pretty cool to, to share this time with you, too. I will. Thank you very much for saying that. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Karen Kenny. She's a dynamic presence, and I really enjoyed connecting with her. The show notes for this episode are online at acongruentlife.net slash 15, where I'll link to Karen's website and contact information. If you have someone in your world who you think would make a great guest for A Congruent Life, as Sherry did, please drop me an email. I'd love an introduction. And if you enjoy this program, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to leave a positive review on the iTunes store. That's really helpful to a young podcast like this one. There's a link for that at the top of the website at acongruentlife.net. You can also subscribe to our community list on the right sidebar there. Thanks again for being here and listening to A Congruent Life. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.